0: It's Thursday, March 26th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, the latest unemployment numbers are in. They're historic and not in a good way. We'll break it down. Then how do world leaders hold an emergency summit when they're supposed to be social distancing? We'll explain the new world leaders work from home playbook. And finally, we called up some of the most popular dating sites to find out how they're helping people connect from home. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Okay, the COVID-19 pandemic is a rapidly changing story with lots of moving parts. And we're gonna help you sort out what exactly you need to know, starting with the three big developments of the day. Let's start with what happened this morning.
1: We just got, guys, the number that we've been waiting for all morning, just moments ago. The number of Americans filing claims for unemployment benefits has hit a record high for a single week. We're talking about a decade of job expansion that suddenly has come to a screeching halt.
0: Last week, 3.3 million people in the U.S. filed for unemployment. That's about five times the number of people who filed at the height of the Great Recession. So scary headline on a big policy level, but it's also got a huge personal impact as well. What does that look like? We called up a labor economist to find out. It's truly staggering. That's Catherine Edwards of the public policy think tank, the Rand Corporation. And she says that people who have filed for unemployment this past week have probably faced a range of problems.
1: What this number tells us this morning is that a lot of people are looking to this program for help, probably people who have never applied before, probably people who have never thought about applying before or didn't know how. And they're going to be met with a very difficult and defunct computer system. They're going to be met with long wait times on the phone. And for a lot of them, they're going to be met with rejection of the claim.
0: And that last part might be the toughest of all because Edward says it's ultimately up to the states to decide who gets those benefits. In most states to be eligible to receive unemployment, you have to demonstrate a proven work history in the state where you're filing your claim. And if you just move states, it might take several weeks to learn you should have filed your claim with the state you just left. Usually you've also got to demonstrate that you're actively looking for work and prove that you were actually laid off or that it wasn't your fault. Not to mention that during a pandemic, A lot of people who aren't able to work because of social distancing rules or who are just working a lot fewer hours may not be eligible for unemployment insurance either. Like a waitress who works in a restaurant that's still open but is just doing curbside pickup. So a lot less tips. That said, there may be some fixes to address people who fall through the cracks. Earlier this month, the labor department said that states can be flexible and make some exceptions around these rules. For instance, they said unemployment can be given to workers at businesses that are temporarily closed because of COVID-19, or to workers who have to quarantine or care for a sick family member. Also, keep in mind that big economic relief bill that just passed in the Senate and might pass in the House of Representatives tomorrow could address some of these issues. For instance, it lets gig economy workers or freelancers apply for unemployment insurance for the first time. But all of these recent COVID-19 fixes to unemployment insurance don't necessarily cover everyone who's being affected right now. Like that waitress whose hours were cut way back, and even Congress can't magically fix the slow computers at your state unemployment office. So even for states that want to help, making major changes to the unemployment system during a pandemic isn't easy. And there are
1: already concerns about that. So this week we're hearing about the number 3.3 million. I wouldn't be surprised if next week we're going to start to hear a lot of stories in newspapers about people who are desperate for benefits, but found out that they weren't eligible for them. So it could
0: be a little while before we understand the full scope of how bad the unemployment situation really is. And big picture, Edwards says numbers alone never tell the full
1: story. The effects of what's happening and how it's internalized by households, that, that will take a long time to really find out. We can get a glimpse of what the devastation was and where hardship is coming from, but that doesn't mean we understand what hardship meant for people going through it.
0: So what's the skin? The news that 3.3 million people in the US applied for unemployment last week shows that COVID-19 is setting records for the US economy for all the wrong reasons. And the state unemployment system wasn't perfect to begin with. So some people may have trouble getting the economic assistance they need, If you're one of those millions of people who've recently lost their job, here are some tips to keep in mind. Like we said, under the new Senate stimulus bill, more people would qualify for unemployment benefits, including some people who aren't typically eligible, gig workers like rideshare drivers and freelancers. And depending on where you live, your state might be making new exceptions to get help to more people. So be sure to check your state's labor website and understand that wait times may be long. Also, if you're lucky enough to still be employed, You may want to revisit your budget and see if there are new places you can cut back on now that we're social distancing, or start or keep building an emergency fund, or see if you can get a break on loans as lenders get more flexible with borrowers. We're going to keep answering your money questions as the economic fallout of COVID-19 develops and offer resources to help you stay financially healthy. To stay updated, head on over to theskim.com slash spend smarter. Our second headline today involves a pretty big video conference. No, we're not talking about your company-wide Zoom meeting. We're talking about the latest G20 summit. World leaders, they're just like us. Remember, the G20 is the group of 20, AKA the leaders of 19 countries and the European Union, who talk about how their economies can get along. Every year, these world leaders get together in one of their countries for an annual summit. And later this year, they were supposed to meet up in Saudi Arabia. But with everything going on with COVID-19, they decided they needed to have an emergency meeting. And with social distancing and a lot of international travel restrictions, they decided to take a move out of the work from home playbook. So that's how all the G20 leaders, like Canada's Justin Trudeau, Germany's Angela Merkel, and India's Narendra Modi ended up on a video conference. It's a pretty great visual. We've linked to a screenshot in our show notes. And of course they talked about how they're handling the pandemic that's paralyzed most of the world the meeting's chair saudi arabia's king salman kicked off the conversation by calling for unity quote the world counts on us to come together and cooperate in order to face this challenge salman noted that a lot of countries are passing their own economic stimulus plans but they also have to be willing to help each other out and he had three requests first All of the G20 member countries should contribute to funding research and development for a vaccine and crucial medical supplies. Second, they should start trading their goods and services with each other again as soon as possible. And finally, they should help countries that are less developed. That last one is especially important. You see, yesterday, the World Bank and International Monetary Fund called on G20 countries to give the world's poorest countries a break when it comes to paying back their debts. TPD how the countries are reacting to that request. But the G20 countries said they are gonna work on fixing any broken links in global supply chains. And that they asked their money people to work together on an action plan. Not a bad way to end the call. And that's notable, since another recent international meeting didn't end as nicely. Yesterday, a smaller group of countries, known as the G7, had their own video hangout. But that one ended in a disagreement. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo wanted COVID-19 to be called the Wuhan virus in the official statement about the meeting. Experts have warned against referring to the virus by this term because it breeds xenophobia. And last night, some of the G7 reportedly agreed, ultimately writing statements of their own that use the World Health Organization's designation, COVID-19. Which brings us to our third big story of the day. For weeks, we've heard about how hospitals could become overwhelmed with the rising number of COVID-19 patients. Some U.S. healthcare systems are already living that reality. In New York, at least one hospital had to store bodies in a refrigerated truck after its morgue hit capacity. In Atlanta, earlier this week, the mayor said that ICU beds are already maxed out. And in Texas, Governor Greg Abbott says that's exactly what he's trying to get ahead of. Earlier this week, he announced an executive order to increase the number of hospital beds in his state. I am directing all licensed healthcare professionals in all licensed healthcare facilities to postpone all surgeries and procedures that are not medically necessary to correct a serious medical condition or to preserve
1: the life of a patient.
0: Sounds simple enough. States across the country like Michigan and Colorado have announced similar measures. But the problem, what does medically necessary mean? In Texas, abortion rights groups and the state's attorney general are disagreeing over that one. The state attorney general says, unless the mother's life is in danger, abortions are elective. And abortion rights groups say, no, they're not. And yes, women still need to access them during the pandemic. Now they're taking that disagreement to court because last night abortion rights groups announced they're suing. Let's look at where both sides are coming from. Two weeks after evidence of community spread was first reported there, Texas now has the 11th highest number of cases in the country. And some models say the peak is yet to come. That's why Governor Abbott is trying to free up these hospital beds and personal protective gear, like masks and gowns meaning people basically have to wait for all procedures unless A, their life is at risk, or B, something seriously bad could happen. And here's where abortion rights groups disagree. They say abortions are essential healthcare. They say they're time-sensitive procedures that can't be put off, like say, a knee replacement can. And last week, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists said they agree, that quote, the consequences of being unable to obtain an abortion profoundly impact a person's life, health, and well-being. Texas has a history of passing laws that restrict abortion access, but this fight is playing out elsewhere too. Governors in Mississippi and Ohio have also come out and said that unless it's necessary to save the mother's life, abortions aren't medically necessary during the COVID-19 pandemic. All we know is the White House has advised medical providers to delay elective procedures. And as more states start adhering to that, we're likely to continue to see different interpretations of what elective really means. Like we said, there's a lot happening right now. To keep up to date on the latest news about COVID-19, head on over to the skim.com slash COVID updates. Okay, we're pressing pause on the latest developing stories to talk about your love life, or as we like to call it, dating in the time of coronavirus. For a lot of us, social distancing is now the new normal, and we couldn't help but wonder, does staying at home to not compromise my health mean that I have to compromise my love life? Enter virtual dating. It's like a Zoom meeting that's less business and more romance.
1: I think we're almost going back to a courtship period because we're forced to.
0: That's Rachel Dialto, the chief dating expert at Match.com, which recently launched a dating while distancing hotline. A resource where people can ask anything from how to go on your first virtual date to how to keep the momentum going when you don't have physical contact. And if you think about it, Rachel points out that this already isn't a totally insane concept.
1: You know, Love is Blind became such a huge hit, and they didn't even see each other. We can look at that as kind of a beta test of, yeah, we can do this.
0: And a lot of people are already doing it. The dating at Bumble says it's seen a huge increase in their video call feature among users, especially in big cities with mandates to stay home, like New York City, San Francisco, and Seattle. But with anything that has to do with the internet, it's important to remember to stay safe. Here's Bumble's editorial director, Claire O'Connor. You shouldn't
1: have to give away your phone number, email address, or any other personal information, including your full name, until you're ready. We um, wanna we want, we want to make sure you're safe. So uh we are encouraging and indeed seeing people use this feature in the app to be able to engage uh, without compromising their personal information
0: and in a way our new way of life may actually make dating a better experience really here's dawin kang the co-ceo of coffee meets bagel what if you know there's no reason whatsoever for us to rush now um we have a lot more time. What if we just slow down and take the time to really get to know someone, you know? That would be really nice. And slow dating might actually be a faster way for you to actually uh, be able to experience the authentic connection that you might be looking for. No matter your situation, sometimes you just need to press pause. And every week, we're sending out an email with some of our favorite things to help you take a break. To sign up, head on over to theskim.com slash press pause. Before we go, we wanted to tell you about something we heard on our other podcast, Skimmed from the Couch. This week, best-selling author and activist Glennon Doyle joined us to talk about her new memoir, Untamed, in that she describes what happened when she stopped adhering to other people's expectations of her and started to listen to herself. She also told us what living untamed at work can do to change culture everywhere. I think what we have to do in corporations, in churches, in institutions, in political groups is create room where people who have differing ideas, differing voices, differing experiences can bring their full selves to the table and know that they will be both held by the group and free to bring a different self to the table. So there is no more important place for people to begin to start using their untamed voices than in corporations. You can hear more from Glennon on our most recent Skimmed from the Couch episode, brought to you in partnership with Sephora. And that's all for Skim This. Remember, we wanna hear your shout outs. Maybe it's a message for a friend working on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic or a loved one who you can't physically meet up with right now. Give us a call at 461-6370 and leave us a voicemail or DM us on Instagram at the Skim, and we might share your message on an upcoming episode. Don't forget, if you aren't signed up yet for our free morning newsletter, The Daily Skim, you can do so on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.